Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine. And I'm Stephen. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to talk about pop psychology today. Pop psychology. The... Yeah, yeah, popular. It's um, a great word when you try not to have pops on the microphone so uh the word pop literally makes the microphone go pop that's because it's onomatopoeic it is mm-hmm. i love that word onomatopoeic learning <laughs> a word that sounds like the word it is indeed <laughs> right yeah the new segment where we give you a random dictionary <laughs> word and explain it to you um so yeah um we decided uh to do this mainly because i said i wanted to talk about a particular thing um, I was like, I remember when I was at school and everyone was going on about learning styles and they were making mm. this like um, concerted effort that we should all learn in our appropriate learning style. And now no one seems to really talk about that. Well, um, I would or disagree with the second statement there. Ooh, and very is it much big so, yes. in, the, in the sphere? It's, it's, it's still very big, yes. So we need okay. to talk about that. So yeah, um, so I guess popular psychology is is stuff that, we kind of everybody knows um it, it's it should be differentiated between folk psychology that's another phrase that's often used in psychology we all have a what's called a folk psychology which mm. is we all kind of you know psychology is about our own thinking and other people's thinking and so we everybody's got an opinion about that of course because we all think and we all have to be quite expert at, at what other people are thinking so we we are quite good anyway because we do it all the time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like saying, you know, an expert in walking. Well, we all walk. Right. So we've all got something to say about walking. Um, it's a bit different to being a, a quantum physicist, you know, where, where you don't have any experience of that world. But we all have experience of the psychological world. Therefore, mm-hmm. we all have opinions about it. And a lot of it is right, you know. So mm-hmm. a lot of us do have... Um, we do have quite a good handle on, on mm-hmm. a lot of psychology. And then, so that's folk, folk psychology, which um, you don't dismiss when you start studying psychology. You, um, you kind of use that. Like your, um, what is it? If there's the logical thought and then there's the, um, that your gut, but there's like a proper word for it. I don't know. Instinctual, whatever. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think if you said to people, do you sometimes think through, uh, well, the, the the one we keep using as an example is the thinking fast and slow. Mm-hmm. If you talk about that, I think most people would say, yeah, well, I know that's true. You know, that's kind of mm. obvious, isn't it? So there's a lot of things that are kind of obvious, but there's also a lot of things that are not. Um, the other thing around, um, so if we move to pop psychology, these are psychological studies perhaps or theories that become 
really well known within society and everybody kind of repeats them over and over again. Um, and some of them are, are right and some of them don't have any evidence for them really. So I think it's kind of interesting. Um, but it does in a way go to the heart of, of the difficulties with psychology. So let's let's explore some of those, some of the ones that are either absolutely nailed on and those that are not. Um, so, yeah, should we just sort of jump in? Are we doing them kind of like one at a time or are we, should we start yeah, with the one well, that kicked it all off? Yeah, so start with the one that you were, you were just sort of referring to, yeah. Learning, learning styles. styles. <laughs> let's do yes. it. So learning styles is something that most people who've ever been on any training, perhaps corporate training, um, if you're a teacher, you might have um, been through this. Uh, lots of kind of popular science books talk about it, something called NLP, which we keep saying we're going to do a a whole series on. But NLP actually is a lot of pop psychology, um, which is something that we we ought to talk about. Um, These are, uh, a a lot of these places talk about this thing called learning styles. And I have to admit, I've, you know, I've talked about it as well. So it's been in some of my management courses or train the trainer courses, um you so say do, it was is it not anymore well it's I, I i'm very careful about it do you want to just for the benefit of the listeners uh tell us what what you know about learning styles yes so as far as in terms of my experience learning styles um are the concept that everybody has a different way of learning um yeah or a more more suited way a best way so not that you just won't learn otherwise but a more suited way of learning Mm. so um they're separated aren't they by like auditory um visual kinesthetic and then i don't know yeah um, global well so there's there's the thing is there's quite a few of these different ones and oh um, there's all different frames oh yeah there's all different frameworks so that's the one that they used really yeah, the one you're talking about is often gets called VAC, um, V-A-K, VAC. <laughs> uh, Visual, Auditory and Kinesthetic. Mm-hmm. So the theory goes that if you are, and, and it particularly refers to thinking, I suppose, the way that we like to think or prefer to think, mm. or the way that we think uh, more often than not. Um, so, you know, if you think in pictures, if you think visually, you know, you might imagine a scene where you've put yourself in like a movie and you see the the scene, the picture in your head. Um, and that, that would be, a, that would suggest that you're a visual thinker. Or if you're somebody that sort of has an inner voice and you have conversations with yourself and uh, it's all about words, that might be an auditory mm-hmm. um, type of learning style or thinking style and then the kinesthetic one's a bit confusing in a way because it can mean lots of things um generally they talk about more action oriented sort of uh, actually doing it and trying it so mm. touchy feely you know let me have a go i want to do it i want to try it out and so you're actually sort of learning on the job if you like you're doing it physically um but also there's also other models that tend to shove in there of anything that hasn't been said. So any of the senses that haven't been uh, ticked off the list, you know, so gustatory, um, olfactory. Mm. So in other words, uh, sense of smell, sense of taste. These are things that you don't generally associate with learning, but it's this more visceral kind of experiential 
type of learning. So it all mm. it all kind of makes sense. It all um, you know, there's definitely a logic to it. The idea if you have a dominant thinking style then that's going to be your dominant yeah. learning style. Well, I do feel like I'm a more visual person in the mm. way that, you know, we've talked about before, I don't have much internal dialogue. <laughs> yeah, that was a revelation. I think you're very odd. Um, I don't know. You know what it is, actually? <laughs> what I think it is. I think I've revealed it. You know, I'm on my no phone holiday. Oh, yeah. yeah. My brain is so loud now. <laughs> really yeah i think i've just been like battering it with my phone and social wow. media because That's like yeah yeah so your, your inner voice was crowded out by your your phone and your yeah, by media. exterior voices <laughs> yeah That's yeah interesting yeah um well okay that's that's a subject for another podcast I think. Um, <laughs> yeah so I think, you know, there is a certain logic to it and it's very, I mean, that again is, is talked about in NLP, which is a, mm. uh, a kind of, again, it's more of a sort of pop psychology. It stands for neuro-linguistic programming. I know some people swear by it mm. um, and they find it But then it really I suppose the counter to me is like of it, I just thought is that some people really struggle to visualize, but so then being given visuals surely would be helpful. If you struggle to do it on your own, someone giving you the visuals would probably be helpful, right? If you struggle... To have I your guess, own internal thread, but I guess they're thinking match with what you are internally. Yeah, that's it. It's about yeah. matching. But the, the the problem with it is that it's as a as a sort of hypothesis, it's fine. But if you're going to have a any sort of scientific approach to this stuff, then you need to then demonstrate that the hypothesis actually is delivering. You know, so you've got yourself a hypothesis, a, a hypothesis there, which is that you know. There are such things as learning styles and you learn better with when your your teaching, if you like, is matched to your learning style. The problem is, is there's no evidence for it. And there's been lots of attempts to try and mm. demonstrate it through experiment, experimental designs. It sounds it very is, difficult. Well, it's not. It's, is it not? It's okay. one of, well, it's one of those, if you think about it, it's quite an easy theoretically anyway we can get to some of the you know criticisms of the research but in in principle you know you can this is basically how they do it in experiments is you get a bunch of people in a room you give you give them instruction using their preferred learning style and then you give them instruction not in their preferred learning style and you see how well they perform you either do it between participants or with within participants in other words you either get the same people to do different styles or you get different people to do the same style and see whether the match works and in these experiments we just are not seeing any difference we're mm. not seeing that people learn better if their learning style is matched i think there's so much more to learning than the learning style in terms of having a good teacher um you know that them creating engaging content i think engagement is to do with more than is it visual is it auditory do you know what i mean like engagement mm. is such a bigger thing than that i suppose yes um if we go by the science that there currently isn't any evidence for it so we can't say that we know that this is a thing mm. uh, we also what the what the science does suggest are things that actually you know we we can demonstrate from experiments that actually help and one of those for instance seems to cut across that so one of the really interesting bits of research that um, 
I've used on some of my training courses is that if you actually make things a little bit more difficult, then people learn better, which seems to be completely outside the the most you know the obvious thing to um, match their level. So there's a there's a piece of research by uh, Diamond Yaumann, Oppenheimer, and Vaughan. Um, it sounds like a band. It's great. <laughs> uh, but they found that um, slightly changing the font on text so it was a bit mm. more difficult to read meant that people remembered more. I see. Which is kind of interesting. So because they, there was more need to put, you know, more concentration into it, mm. then they tended to learn more. Now, you know, how that extends to a whole lesson uh, you know might be a different question but um i thought that was that was quite interesting but there you have an example of an experiment that is demonstrating something that's happening whereas the learning styles ones just isn't so there are other types there's the honey and mumford one which is a very popular one in that in sounds industry. like a band for sure it does honey and mumford <laughs> yeah um i can't i'm, I'm not gonna remember all of those there's four different learning mm-hmm. styles there there's activist, um, there's reflector or reflective, mm-hmm. and there's another couple that I can't remember. But again, there's little evidence for any of these as being things that will help people learn. Now, what we do have evidence for is there are some preferred learning mm-hmm. styles. So people are quite clear about what they prefer. But it doesn't necessarily mean it will work But that better. doesn't necessarily mean that they learn more. Um, which is quite interesting. If anything, I'd hate this to be true. I hope it's not. But, you know, when you just said, oh, making the writing less mm. clear to read makes you focus more, does it mean that if you'd prefer visual but they gave you it auditory, you might learn more because you're going to have well, to focus on it because you don't So here's to. here's where I um, – so not everybody agrees with this clearly. You know, it's, mm. and what's interesting is that uh, there's an article that I'll – more reference in the uh, in the show notes but it makes a good point that particularly in the states but i know it's the case in in the uk as well and it's probably the same for other mm. nations that even in the teacher training they are taught learning styles and in order to pass their exams they have to explain what sort of lesson plan they'd devise for somebody with a certain learning style Mm. so we're actually teaching it to the teachers the next generation of teachers when there is actually no evidence for it which is really surprising Mm. what why why are we doing that if we've not even got because it's so embedded though you know i I did a i did some training uh, a couple of years ago at at a university and there was a woman there who uh she'd actually just finished her phd And she'd done it about learning styles. And, you know, obviously she disagreed with with my analysis that there is no evidence for it, but she didn't provide any evidence for it um, because, Mm. you know, there isn't. However, this is where I'm going to sort of row back a little bit on it. One of the problems that you always have with experimental uh, psychology is that you are always reducing uh, what is often a complex uh, phenomena down to as simple as possible so that you can experiment or so you can do it in the in the lab and mm-hmm. so if you're if you're training somebody for i don't know 20 minutes 10 minutes 
and you're expecting that to be demonstrated or you're expecting to demonstrate any differences between learning styles in that period. I don't know all the details of all the experiments, but I would say if I'm training somebody for a whole day, which I do sometimes, then if I'm just banging away at a learning style that they really don't like and they find difficult and they don't enjoy it, then surely that might have an effect on their willingness and motivation to learn and we do know that motivation does have a part to play yeah in fact a big part to play whether people learn Mm -hmm. so I think I'm always careful about it so when I talk about the learning styles in my courses now I'm I will tell them what it is but I try to be a little bit more nuanced about it because it's not quite as simple as um yeah one way or the other really it's mm-hmm. yeah so learning styles is one of those classic ones if you're a, a particular type of psychologist who is a very sort of scientific um positivist mm. uh experimentalist then there are some of them they, these guys about who are very vociferous vociferously against learning styles it's one of their mm. big angry things that they get very frustrated about because mm-hmm. there isn't any evidence for it um but you know that, that my point i've just made it so that that's why it's perhaps difficult um and the thing with psychology is because the way i see psychology is is we we construct what we think is going on in the world that has a kind of um, self-fulfilling element to it mm. <laughs> so but then to just believe that it doesn't exist, I think, is a bit naive, you know. So if you believe learning styles really makes a difference, I like to learn through visual. Mm-hmm. And then I say to you, no, there's absolutely no difference whatsoever. So I'm going to deliver all my lectures literally by talking to you. Mm. Um, I feel like that is a, uh, well, it'd be a mistake first mm-hmm. and it will be a demotivator, yeah. So I feel like I do need to get into their their way of thinking a little bit and how they personally mm. make sense of what what's going on in their in their lesson you know what I have found is this a learning style where you need a bit of like everything mm. <laughs> where like um I kind of like I found it useful like starting a new job I found it useful in that I you know watched a bunch of um like training clip video things then I read a bunch of text in the booklet then Mm. um then I did it do you know what I mean with supervision um that seemed like a good process that's generally how I've always been trained for every kind of job I've done I've had some training to do that's outside of the situations like reading or viewing and then I've had yeah kinesthetic like doing learning and I think that's for me that's the in a way that's the easy answer and it, it in some respects it, it makes the whole thing a bit mute yeah because it's like um, surely everyone would benefit exactly. especially when you have a class of students because yeah. you're never going to be able to unless you what try and organize the students by the audio learners and the visual learners and the kinesthetic Nobody does learners. That. no so mm. then um it, if you are teaching these teachers to use these learning styles then surely given that they're going to be teaching a group of kids that all have different preferences, you're going to need to mix it up regularly, right? So if, if there is such things as learning styles, then you'd want to mix it up so that everybody gets something. If there's no such thing as learning styles, then you'd want to mix it up to make it interesting. Yeah. So in a way, 
just mix it up. Yeah, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Which is the way I see it. Is there a reason then, do you think, for us continuing this sort of, do you think there's other things we should be doing? Well, this is the point. There's so many more things that we have more evidence for than we probably should focus more on that. Mm. Um, I've got a, a bit of a list here that I've I've got in my yeah. uh, one of my courses, so I might as well just go through yeah, them, actually. These are things that, that have been researched, and I'll give mm-hmm. you the references. Um, so one of the things that helps people learn is that they have – some context before they start learning so they understand uh, the context of what they're learning and I think this is for me this is really important you know if you just came if I go into a training room and they say right today we're just gonna we're gonna teach you the function of x you know um, I, I need to understand what what x is first and mm. you know what what's it what it, what's it got to do with <laughs> what's the context in which this thing is is being taught so um that's that's from a study by bransford and johnson participants were asked to read a passage and then asked questions afterwards those who had been given prior contextual knowledge did better than those who hadn't so very simple again so just giving people some contextual knowledge what's it about why are you doing it what's it how does that fit into the wider world um i mean i i think probably you talk about global thinking in terms of learning styles if you like but um but this is just saying give people a bit of context first um another one is um, self-confidence actually um so learners believing in themselves a study by chaburu and marinova in 2005 found that skill transfer following training was increased by the learner's motivation and their motivation was increased by feelings of self-efficacy I so think we've I talked about self-efficacy before having done some reading before mm. don't feel like i know nothing i'm like okay i'm still learning but i feel like i know something yeah and and the, the belief that you you can learn more and that you can learn this thing mm. helps increase your motivation which in turn increases your ability to learn so it seems to be that one is what we call a mediator so self-efficacy um is a is a mediator of between motivation and the ability to to learn so i think that's quite that's quite interesting Mm. um learning is engaging bell and kozlowski found that um learning that was engaging again increases motivation mm-hmm. increases again self-efficacy you believe that you can do it we've talked about self-efficacy yeah. on the previous i feel like pod. i can definitely learn in different environments it's about the, the teachers the lecturers that are, that are giving this. yes absolutely. It's, it's all it's it's always about that you know i think it's a big it's a big factor um Although you could have a really boring teacher, but if if you are really engaged in the subject, then in a way that wouldn't matter so much. So I suppose you know. so, yeah. But like um, I've been to you know some training sessions for my job, and yeah, the, yeah. the um, it's it's the ones that are really like, yeah, they 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 do they mix it up. We did lots of different activities mm. and different sort of thing. Like we did listening, we watched videos, um, we did some like workbook stuff. We did activities, um and they were just re- when they were talking 
it was not monotone. You know, they had interesting tones in their voice. They weren't just like, mm. and now we're going to learn about the new product. The product is this, you know, it's like, oh. yeah. And, and again, I think this is where um, some of these experiments probably don't quite cut it. You know, if you, if you're sitting there for like an hour or three, listening to somebody drone on you know that's yeah. very different to doing it for 10 minutes you know you oh, might yeah. actually learn something in 10 minutes but yeah. if you've got to sit there for three hours then no not. yeah I had a wonderful English teacher in that he was a really <laughs> lovely person I really yeah. liked English but he had the most monotone just homogenous way of teaching <laughs> it was just just trudging it felt like trudging mm. and it did make it hard to look like it felt like hard work do you know what I mean? You know, when you feel yeah. learning shouldn't ha- feel like hard work. <laughs> well, if it does, it you probably yeah. You, I mean, sometimes learning sometimes is it's difficult. A struggle, but, mm. like you're struggling, or like you're struggling to understand it. But when it's just hard work to pay attention, that's mm. what I mean. Yes. Paying attention mm. shouldn't feel like hard work. Yeah, absolutely. You feel yourself just leaving. You're seeing yourself just running away down the street. You know, down the hallway. Visions. <laughs> Um, uh, so um, I suppose probably linked to a lot of these is that is the next one, which is that learning should be chunked up, mm. chunked up into smaller pieces. So Sapida, Pashler, Vull, Wixted and Rora in 2006 did a meta study. So meta studies are when you take lots of papers and you look at overarching mm-hmm. evidence from all of those. And they found that, you know, this was overwhelming evidence was found that distributing learning over several days mm-hmm. rather than doing everything in a single day greatly increased retention so retention is important when you're learning because if you can't remember it then obviously it's hard for you to, for you to really apply learning? it mm. yeah um and i think that's a really good one so yes yeah, split up the training chunk it up um mm-hmm. you'll remember more i just thought of something go on so it's it's good because it's about what we talk about all the time um it's so pop psychology it's so in the thing that um i mean cults use all of this stuff too right they're they're yeah. so using this i was just thinking mm. about you at like ministry school or whatever it was um where you learn how to give talks mm. this is this right <laughs> yes and no i would say and, some... so they were like you know use more tones chunk um you know like yeah yeah like um do this don't do that yeah i think there's a there's a certain um some of some of what we're saying is done i think there are other things though that are are very poorly done but then if you're going back every week you know forever then in a way it's not the sort the learning is different in in a church or or a kingdom hall because it's it's not so much learning new knowledge and skills it's more it's more keeping um, on top of that <laughs> propaganda and um, mm. yeah, the idea of, of sort of programming you into into believing something. Mm. Um, meaningful. Make sure that the the training is the learning is meaningful. Mm. Uh, but on the other hand, you could. So this is something I have to be careful of when I'm doing training. Is that you want to make it entertaining meaningful so you you try to give it context and you talk about wider issues around it but if you're not careful you can increase what's called the cognitive load Mm. by introducing things that are not relevant so you have to get the balance right between you know stuff that's relevant and stuff that is entertaining and will keep them interested Mm -hmm. and 
increase the meaning of what they're learning but might overdo it on the um, on the cognitive load mm. um, this is a really good one worked examples which i think is something we don't do enough of actually so this one was was done by using algebra actually so they found sweller and cooper found that students who had worked examples that they could look at and say mm. oh okay that's what you do at this stage all oh, right that's what they did at this stage and that's what they got that's what they did at this next stage and that's what they got mm. they they learned much more quickly than those who had no worked examples that just got the learning from the front or from a book and then they had to have a go at, at, a, at an example so actually seeing a worked example is really really useful and i find mm. that to be very much the case mm-hmm if you can see it at every stage oh okay so that's what you did there and that's what you do there and that's what happened there that really really helps makes sense um, <clears throat> uh, i mentioned about challenging so um bjork and bjork um called it <laughs> desirable difficulties interestingly mm. i think that's quite a nice little phrase isn't it desirable difficulties mm. so by putting desirable difficulties in there you increase levels of attention and um, like the changing of the font, that tends to uh, increase mm-hmm. retention. And the other one, probably the last, last one I'll talk about this one, is the testing effect. So give people, or if you're learning, you know, yourself, reading a book, give yourself quizzes um, somehow. Um, maybe write some questions out. So I did this when I was revising for my essays for my degrees. I would write out questions and then come back to them and see if I could answer them again. Um, mm. And so I give essentially I give myself quizzes, or I'd I'd write on cards and, and your mum would. Um, I think you did it mm-hmm. for me as well. Would yeah. ask me questions about it, and I'd then have to try and remember. That really, really helps. Yeah. Um, so that's another good one. Mm-hmm. So those things are, you know, there is evidence for those things. Learning styles, not so much. No. I remember one thing Kate told us on the um, homeschooling episode. I'm not sure if that was in it because obviously we're talking about the homeschooling stuff, but she said, um, uh, hello, Kate, if you're listening, um, who said (laughs) um, to do that thing of remembering. So doing it, what, a couple of days later after you've learned it, then a couple of weeks later, then then like a month later. So you increase the amount of time between retesting, but you keep trying to make sure that it's still in that sort of long-term memory kind of thing yeah that's a good one. i think part of it it relates to that chunking so one of the things about chunking is that you sleep in between mm-hmm. and we've already talked about how sleep is a is a really important mm-hmm. time when the brain does a lot of reorganization and um, it's all to do with how we retain memories so yeah Okay, so um, we've covered quite a bit there. So one of the the pop psych is about learning styles. And we've said that, yeah, it's a bit kind of doubtful. Um, but there are some things that are very, uh, yeah, very much there. Very much mm. that there's a lot of evidence for. Mm-hmm. So All right. were we going to talk about some more pop yeah, psych things? Pop psych. All right. What about um, the power stance? I've not heard of this, or at least I've not heard of it as a term before. I might have heard of it when or you said power pose. It. I think they call it power pose. Okay. Why is this standing like open or something? I mean, like yeah, you're demonstrating it beautifully. Hands there. on hips. Hands on hips. Um, your legs uh, slightly apart, um, one slightly in front of the mm. other, um, 
and I do it, this it to became... the customers when they're being horrible. <laughs> exactly. I'm just like, you can't scare me. So there's, I, um... I'm, I will, I'll scare you with my power yeah. stance. <laughs> well, that's right. So um, there was a. It's funny because when I was doing um, presentation skills training, um, mm. I actually what I used to do is get get learners before they came on the course to watch a bunch of TED talks. Mm-hmm. And some of them would be quite good and some of them would have problems in them. But I thought it was a good way of, again, giving them some context and getting them in the right place mm-hmm. so that when they came on the course, they'd have some thoughts about these things. And one of the the, the ones that I got them to look at, one of the most popular TED Talks, was by a, a, a psychologist called Amy Cuddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did a great presentation about this idea of um, the power stance. So in mm-hmm. other words, if you... If you stand like you've like we've already described, um, then this tends to make you more confident and therefore more successful. You get more of what you want, um, and so this became like she wrote a book about. She did um, some uh, a bit of research, she did some experiments, and then she she wrote a book about it and became quite well known. She did a lot of speaking events where she got paid quite a lot of money. Um, unfortunately. It um, it happened around the same sort of time as people were starting to ask a lot of questions about what we consider classical psychological research and what, what came to be known. We've mentioned it a few times on this podcast mm-hmm. called the replication. Um, oh, could you hear my brain working there? I the didn't rep- know if you'd froze. <laughs> The replication crisis, yeah, um, came to be known as the replication crisis, which basically meant that a lot of these experiments, including this one, when people try to replicate them, because really mm. experiments, you should be replicating them to see whether they have the same results, you know, over and over and over again. Mm. Um, but for re- various reasons, that hasn't been happening as much as it should so you've got all these experiments that that have given way to a lot of pop psychology like you know stand in that pose and you will find wonderful things happen um and they found that when they tried to replicate it they just couldn't really get any um you know any results um or get get the same results so again we ended up with this um very um angry response to this idea and it was completely poo-pooed uh no evidence for it and unfortunately and this is another one of those interesting examples where amy cuddy became the punching bag essentially so Mm. from from hero to zero essentially because this was a, a great example of this um fraudulent science mm. of psychology that was that was being um, you know demonstrated um what what seems to have happened is is it, it's been looked at again and actually the jury's still out a little bit what seems to be the case is that the big results which was you know stands with your legs apart and you know all the whole power stancing thing the the results on that are very weak. Mm. The 
sample she used, the, the, the number of participants was quite small, which is often the problem with these experiments. You know, they don't get enough people in a single experiment to be able to demonstrate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if it's not replicated, then you're just not getting that robustness. So that was one of the problems. But what, what seems to have been seen in subsequent research is that whilst that might not be such a massive thing, um, standing or sitting in a sort of hunched way, mm. closed, hunched, not standing up straight and so on, that does seem to affect your self-confidence. Mm. Um so that seems to be more significant than the big, bold, brushed. And in other words, you're better off just being neutral mm. um, and avoiding hunching and feel, you know, getting that sort of tension around you. And I think that's that for me makes a lot more sense. The other problem with the power pose is that it, of course, it has an effect on other people. Mm. So you know, it became ridiculous. There's some photographs of people like Theresa May and others mm-hmm. standing in these most ridiculous ways. Mm. Um, <laughs> they look like they got, you know, a pole up the backside. Um, mm. It's just ridiculous. And I would say that would have a negative effect on what, whatever it is you're trying to do. Mm. So just having a neutral pose and avoiding that oh, hunching, yeah. I think I is think a good idea. I think it's like the same with handshakes, isn't it? Doing like, yeah, doing, like obviously a wet yeah like just fish of a handshake is rubbish but then equally just like yeeting someone with your handshake is too much just go neutral go in the middle you, you do like to get that word in every it's every so episode. funny it's a great word it's a great Yeeted. word yeah excellent um yeah so um that's quite an interesting one and it's also interesting in in relation to the way that you know people get piled on um it becomes, I don't know, quite fashionable to pile on um, a psychologist who's said something. You know, one minute they're the they're, they're great. You know, the next minute, oh no, this is completely wrong. Pile on. Oh, bless yeah. her. No, no shoulder pads. Then they won't do it for us. Yeah, shoulder pads and well, big, big aggressive stances and yeeting handshakes. Yeah, yeeting handshakes. Yeah. <laughs> you just tip uh, people over with your aggressive just handshakes. Neutral. It seems neutral. Neutral. Everything. Mm. Um, okay. So, what else? Have we got any more? I think you've got some more. I you have. said there's some that are actually good. Well, well yeah, like, I've, I've kind of gone through some of those because there, there was the, the fair, learning yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, attention blindness. That's quite a good one. Mm. Um, Is that real? It is real, yes, uh, and we know that's real. So, you know, if you're just if you're attending to something, if your attention is on something, um, you can literally not notice something else that's right uh, in front yeah. of you, like yeah. the gorilla. Like the gorilla, yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody's seen that video, but if you've not, just type it in "attention blindness gorilla" or "man in gorilla suit." Um, and you'll see the example of that where you're watching, you're asked to count how many times a basketball is passed from one person to another, and you're counting. You're so attentive on how many times that ball changes hands that you don't notice the man in the gorilla suit walking straight through and having a little dance and then mm-hmm. walking away. Um, so that, yeah, that's a really, yeah, it, it's, it's popular. We all know it, but it is mm-hmm. very, very important. Something that we talked about on um health and safety stuff a lot it's one of the reasons why people get into accidents you're Mm -hmm. focused on what you're doing the job that you're doing and you don't notice that 
you know, somebody's opened that hatch behind you. Yeah. The different uh, people have different levels of attention blindness. Can some people cope with more than others or is it seem like everybody's just got a capacity? Yeah, I don't don't know of any research Mm. about that. Of course, there will always be variation in a population. You're always going to get that. But I don't think it's significant. I think you would as a human being you you have a limited capacity mm-hmm. to be able to attend to everything yeah i remember there was something like you can remember like seven things and then you add another one on and something goes because you had that video where yes. they like tell them that there's a hole in the floor and they remember that for ages until they don't because too many things and they just fall through the floor so that was a video that um so this is going back about Oh, 15 or so years now. Mm. I worked in the oil and gas industry for a while. And obviously they're big on health and safety because you make a mistake on an oil rig and it, it can be very, very yeah. bad. Um, so we did a lot of stuff on that. And that was a video. I, I guess you can still find it. But yeah, so it's a pub. There's a hatch on the floor down to the cellar where the barrels are kept. And uh, yeah, somebody opens the, uh, the the hatch, tells the the woman, I think mm-hmm. it is, that the hatch is open, just taps her on the shoulder and says, like, I've got open this hatch. And, yeah, she's so busy then taking the money, getting the beer or whatever it is, and then she just mm. walks straight into it. And she disappears beautifully down this hole. It's like complete, you know she's like, boom. Um, you know what? <laughs> mum nearly fell down a hole once. Have you heard that? Yes. What? And she... her mum pulled her by her ponytail. Ponytail, yeah. <laughs> she caught her by her ponytail. Yeah, Imagine I being caught by your own ponytail. It's very trench yeah. Um, uh, well, but actually, a- you, sorry, you. I must uh, mm. make this point though that the Miller um, Seven Plus or Minus Two, mm. um, which is what you're referring to, mm-hmm. that is actually another one of those examples of pop psychology that's not really got yeah. much. Basis it does seem in strange truth. to imagine it's like a certain number, and then it's yeah. like, do do, and you don't remember anymore. Well, basically, they, they, the latest understanding, as far as I as far as I understand it, it isn't really my field, but um, mm. it's more like three things. So you can basically oh, keep it's very minimal. Uh, you're not as good as even we thought. Um, so yeah, I mean, things like digits and so on, you can remember more than three digits. Um, mm. But when it comes to different, you know, different things, you've got to keep in your mind juggle. Um, mm-hmm. Then yeah, you're, you're talking more like three than you are seven plus or minus two. Yeah, there's um, no way I could remember a list of seven things at work no. and maintain that. There's no way. No. I write things down. <laughs> this is why I have a calendar. Apparently, the reason why that's that had um, traction was Miller, who was um, a psychologist. Big, he, big psychology lad, yeah. He, um, he sort of talked about it, but he never actually did any experiment for it. I just, it just mentioned it, it once like at the a, pub yes, and they were like, yeah. This is the danger. This is why it's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost like, you know, like the learning styles, even if you're telling people why it doesn't really work, um, mm-hmm. that they go away thinking, oh, I'll learn something about learning styles. <laughs> Which is hilarious. So yes, that, that's uh, that's another one actually that is quite interesting is about crowds. So the the old mob mentality thing. Mm, mm. Um, everyone just loses it. Yeah, this this idea of of the of the mob. Um, mm. So there's a guy called 
I love his name, Gustav Le Bon. Gustav Le Bon. Gustav Le Bon, who he kind of came up with this this idea of um, crowd uh, madness, really, Mm. and uh, that you would have this. There's a whole there's a whole language around it that sort of sprung up around this this Gustav Le Bon. So Mm. one of the things was contagion. So in crowds, you get this thing where people, um, the madness is contagious, you know, so people essentially lose themselves Dancing in a crowd. <laughs> yes, but but this is slightly different because mm. this is like in a crowd. So imagine a big crowd of, I don't know, a thousand, 20,000 people, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the theory is that if you get these people together in a crowd, then um, they they lose their themselves and essentially they they dis- the hive. yes the, so they dis um disassociate with themselves they mm-hmm. they lose themselves become a unit yeah yeah um and 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 it's re- it's really um it, it's it it's really ubiquitous lots of people think this is this has been proven it, it also i don't you won't remember it but Mm. Um, you might have heard um, of the court case because it's only recently been uh, sort of put to bed. But going back to the, oh, was it the 90s? The Hillsborough disaster. So a right. football stadium in Liverpool. the UK. Well, Hillsborough is actually in Sheffield, but it was right. it was Liverpool that were playing, right. football club that were playing in the, in the match. And um, there were some real mistakes made in, in crowd control. And what ended up happening was... Uh, people got basically crushed up against the fencing that, mm-hmm. that was between the pitch and the crowd. And yeah. Um, Awful. Oh, th- there was lots and lots of people died. It was absolutely yeah. horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a young man at the time. It was just, just horrifying to watch people. And we saw it on television because it was a live game. Mm. Um Absolutely horrendous. And young children died. It was just awful. Once but, that starts happening, it's like, you don't know, I would never know yeah, what to do. But one of the, I think one of the problems was that there was this narrative of, you know, football hooligans mm. um, acting in completely irrational ways, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yobbos, if you like. And mm-hmm. so they, you know, Didn't they became... Yeah, so that it was e- it was easy to, to blame mm-hmm. them. And um the, the family things happened as well, haven't they? Yeah, Say again? Things like this have happened in other circumstances, like gigs. Yeah, it often yeah that's right. Like yeah, but again, it, it often is blamed upon the the, the people who suffer. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a real um, well, yeah. That normally the um, sometimes the music does stop, but they tell off the crowd. Yeah, they, um, to stop it, and but then they do stop it, but like like as in it gets pushed backwards again from surging forwards, but. I mean, the thing is, is obviously it's it's a complex situation when you get lots of people in a in a place that is cramped. Then mm. there's also fear that starts to kick in, so people get frightened, and they mm-hmm. they obviously try to get away from the the thing that's causing them to be frightened. If they if they're getting pushed them, against, yeah. then of course they they try to move, and that that so there is an element of that. But I think it, more of what what seems to be the case is that there is a suspicion of crowds and um, mm-hmm. Stephen Reicher, who's quite a well-known uh, social psychologist has um, 
worked very hard to try and investigate whether actually there's any truth in that. And and his his work really suggests that it's it's more of a sort of class thing that, that has happened. So Gustave Le Bon was, you know, a gentleman philosopher, if you like, of the 1800s, who uh, the, the gentleman um, of the day were, were frightened of crowds because the uh, the crowds were all that, the working class, um, mm-hmm. you know, dangerous people who we didn't want to have an opinion and just should mm. do what they're told and get on with their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've kind of inherited this idea that, that, the crowd is a dangerous, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, unruly group. What what Reich's work has demonstrated is that when you see crowd trouble, you often find that the the crowd, uh, the behaviour of people within that is very much targeted to goals and aims. So in the UK, going back a few years, there was quite a bit of trouble in various different cities. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of anger towards um, the establishment. So mm-hmm. it's not like they were just randomly doing things. They were actually targeting. And it's not to say whether it's right, but it's just saying that the whole idea that there were mindless mobs wasn't really the case. They were doing things that related to the way the anger that they felt at the time again not excusing the behavior but it's not that they were completely mindless so the what's interesting about this is that um i've talked about social identity theory before mm-hmm. um so according to reisha what happens is that rather than this traditional idea that people lose their identity actually what happens is they switch their identity mm. to a social one so they they attach it to the social identity of which they are a member at that time so yes they might be willing to do things that they wouldn't normally do but that's not because they lose themselves entirely it's because they switch that identity to the group which i think does have some relevance to things like cults and so on so when you're a member of a high control group or a cult it's not mm. that you've lost your mind it's not that you've completely lost your identity. You switched it, or it's been switched, to the group, which I think yeah. is is actually quite interesting. That is interesting. Mm. So whilst crowds can be dangerous, because obviously lots of people in a, short, in a small space, mm. there is inherent risk there. Um, it's wrong to imagine that people are just, just <laughs> mindlessly um, behaving like a, like a mob. Yeah. Mm. Which I think is quite interesting. That is interesting. I mean, that might have been the surprise most interesting one. <laughs> cool. Mm. Um, so, yes, is there any more? Do, do we um, do we want I some more? Last one. Um, last one. While we're here, cause talking about crowds, bystander effect, because that often oh, okay. yeah. is about a crowd or a group, multiples. Um, is that real? I think yes. it's real. Well, so the bystander effect was coined, um, oh, what were the names? Latan, Dali and Latan. Do your psychology. So I didn't look this one up. I didn't look this one up. So uh, I think it was Mm -hmm. Dali and Latan. And the classic case is Kitty Genovese or Genovese, Mm -hmm. who was a young woman in New York. I think it was around Queens. Mm -hmm. um, Was attacked by a man. 
um, she was stabbed and she obviously he left her for dead Mm -hmm. but she wasn't dead um she managed to to sort of crawl a bit closer to her home but he Mm -hmm. came back for her and uh, and finished her off killed her um Mm -hmm. and it was horrific Uh, i think new york new york times did a massive piece on it um Mm -hmm. and what's what sort of happened is that the idea of of the bystander ignoring what was happening so the 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 sort of story went that there was 50 odd people who were witness to this event mm-hmm. and nobody came to help her so they all kind of left it to somebody else um and this was a, a you know a terrible smur on um a terrible um what's the word smudge on humanity <laughs> yeah it was it was horrible uh and it was you know there's a lot of self-examination and so on you know was it because of violence on tv and was it because of this and was it because of that mm. um but um the reality of what actually happened there is it wasn't that you know there were 50 people watching what happened yeah standing in a circle <laughs> exactly there there was various different people in the uh the, the complex some of whom heard something some of whom maybe saw something somebody shouted out to let her alone somebody actually did phone the police so it wasn't it wasn't quite as you know as spectacular a failing a failing as as had been as people literally saw and heard yeah exactly Mm. if you get if you listen to some of the reports it sounded like you know yeah loads of people actually saw it happening and did nothing Mm. um you do get these reports from time to time where somebody attacks somebody in the street um and nothing happens and then other times it does i think it's it's difficult um to to know exactly what's happening what seems to be happening is that they call it the diffusion of responsibility so if mm. there's lots of people they tend to leave it to each other um whereas if there's only one person that notices it then strangely that person is more likely to intervene than if there's mm. lots and lots of people. The problem with this is there's it's there's a lot of difficulties with the actual research itself. So you're mm. you're left to gain. That's very hard to do experimentally. <clears throat> yeah. I mean there have morally. been experiments done where people have fallen over in the street on purpose, obviously, mm. and mm-hmm. pretending to have a heart attack or something and see what happens. So there is there is some research over that. Um and uh, this isn't something I've looked up so you know, I'm breaking my own rule here, but my understanding is there is something in this idea mm. of diffusion of responsibility where you think yeah. other people will will help. I know, I know doctors say like if you're if you don't say someone call the police that you should pick someone. Like if you're yes. doing chest compressions and you can't call, then nominate a yes. person because if you say yeah. someone, then everyone will just presume someone's done it. That's right. So yeah. things like that, like nominating somebody. I think the other thing to remember is is sometimes people might, um, there's all sorts of things that go through your head when you see something like that. Of course, one of the things is that individuals might be afraid of their own safety. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why people don't always intervene. Maybe that makes them a coward, I don't know. Or maybe that, that is a sensible mm. precaution that, you know, they they want to make sure that they... Whatever they do is in their own bounds. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's one explanation um another is of course you you know sometimes we hear stories of intervening and um, 
and the 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 apparent victim then turns on the the person mm, mm-hmm. intervening you know that that does happen too so i think it's complex it's not it's not necessarily the way that um it, it is often portrayed mm, mm-hmm. um but yes um, i think cults use this though mm. in that they turn you into bystanders so that you feel like part of it if you know i mean in that you know they make you like for example part of the shunning process or they make you part mm. of these sort of quote-unquote decisions it's like you feel like the responsibility is on you as well if you know what i mean well i think it, um the other thing that happens is it, it's it gets normalized so mm. um you know certain behavior that uh that you would consider to be uh you know that i would never do that um if it's normalized if it's something that everybody's doing and uh that you you know you mm-hmm. see being done a lot then you you start to see it as as normal so that's what happens in cults is that normalized um behavior that is odd and behavior that is would be seen as a problem gets normalized mm. you know what what how would a person normally respond to somebody who said, right, you're not allowed to talk to them anymore because they smoked, mm. you know, you say, well, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to take any notice mm-hmm. of that. But if it's normalized that that's what you do, then, then yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's, that's the issue with, um, with those sorts of behaviors. Yeah. Cool. There we go. Pops well, like we didn't get entirety. into all of them. <laughs> no but uh we'll save some for another day mm. i was going to talk about the marshmallow test which uh, was requested by one of our wonderful patrons maybe we'll have to do it as um in there's like a child that uh, child psychology yeah yeah we'll talk about all the cute child experiments <laughs> yeah some of them are great actually. yeah the we'll marshmallow take- test is one of the the most um i don't know it's it's sort of lovely it's heartwarming and touching and sort of funny mm. and but it may or may not be particularly good as an experiment tune in next time tune in next time yes, indeed <laughs> okay all right it. cool all right. well i think that's it i think we're done mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um thank you very much i've enjoyed Please talking to you leave a review yeah have i mentioned um, how important it is to uh to leave i a don't review? know if we've mentioned it i don't know if we've ever said but there is this feature um on apple where you can leave a review where you leave words and stars and on spotify just stars i don't uh, know if you knew stars right okay yeah spotify now has stars that is new cool um the apple one like i said i mean i've never you know thought about it much before but sounds great cool all right well go ahead and do that and thank you very much for listening everybody uh we'll see you next time bye bye what should i think about is an evil sheep production 